Good afternoon, October the 27th. This is Tom Richardson with Removing Confusion, the podcast where you will hear nothing but the Bible and a song by Shara McKee. Shara McKee, I held on. That's a good song. Uh, and you know me, I'm a little more of a hillbilly, but uh, that was some good stuff right there. She held on, and that's what we need to do. We need to hold on 
no matter what. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When we look around the world that we see today, things are getting stormier. We're, we're still here, folks. We're still here. Uh, last time we left off, last time, last Thursday, we were still in First Peter and we're in chapter 2. I made it up to all the way up to verse number 7, or 7 and 8, and I'm going to just hit those real quick as a recap so that we can uh, keep the flow. Uh, unto you, brethren, oh, sorry, unto you, therefore, which believe he, Jesus, is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Now, there's multiple verses through the Bible, Isaiah uh, and a few other places that talk about the cornerstone. I laid a cornerstone in Zion is is what Peter's referring to. He's referring back. Um, this this is a, a, like I said, it's a reoccurring thing. And the uh, the builders, those are the people who were supposed to be in charge of the faith, carrying it forward, carrying it on, knowing when the Messiah would come and how to uh, understand that he was who he said he was, the miracles that he could do that only he did, healing, giving sight to the to the blind that were born blind and deaf and mute. He could restore them to fullness, withered hands and feet, lame and others raising the dead to prove there is a resurrection and he is it, Jesus. But the builders disallowed or cast aside or just said, we don't want you. They were being disobedient. Read this again. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. So there we have it. There's, like say, there's multiple places you can go and find the, ref, re, the referring back to of Jesus being um, prophesied to come and be the corner of our faith, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. We're going to touch that here in a minute. See, they didn't want him around. It's what Peter's reminding the people who are hearing this for the first time from Peter, or I'm sure they've heard before. He's writing to the church. He's telling them. He's telling his friends, I think it was Silvanus and a few others, look, these are. The, I'm, I'm getting ready to be killed, is what Peter tells them as we go along. So what do these guys do? Paul did it. Peter does it. John does it. As they refer back and re- remind you, of the things that were, of how Jesus came to be, this stone of stumbling and this chief cornerstone. And again, I think I, I mentioned it in the last podcast that the this is a cornerstone. It was the big stone that went in the corner. It joined two walls together. 
Now, now if you think about this, two walls, one wall is the Gentiles and the other wall is the Jew. And when you look at God's economy, when you look at how God sees people, you know, there are many races. We know this when there is the uh, red and yellow, black and white, we are precious in his sights. What the how the old kids song goes. And, you know, you can work that into the, you know, there's brown people, black people, white people, you know, red people, yellow people, you know, the whole thing. And knows how we look at races because we look at the outside. God looks at the inside. He sees two distinct races, Jew and Gentile. This chief cornerstone, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, or Christ Jesus, however you want to refer to him, Yeshua, joined Jew and Gentile, two walls of that great building together. That was the cornerstone. He's the foundation stone of the Christian faith and joins God's two uh, children, so to speak, the Jew and Gentile together. But because the builders didn't want to use the cornerstone, they, they decided that, you know, we're not going to we're not going to we're not going to accept him from the jewish standpoint he became a stone of stumbling he's in the corner he's a big stone this is this cornerstone was a huge stone that could hold up those two walls and be that that solid foundation but he became a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense first peter chapter 2 verse 8 even to them which stumble at the word, comma, being disobedient, comma, whereunto also they were appointed. So you have these people who were appointed to be those that would carry the word in its truth, but they were disobedient. That would be the Jewish hierarchy of the, uh, the Sadducees, Pharisees, the uh, Sanhedrin, all those who decided Jesus was not who he said he was, all those who denied him are disobedient. As we go on, I, I think that catches us up to where we were when we left off last time. And I, I don't need to belabor that point. I, I believe we've hit it. And, you know, and look, like I always say, if I go too fast or if I don't cover it just the way you think, and or maybe I say something that's a little bit, hey, wait a minute, what did he say? Let's think about, uh, again, okay, we'll slow down a little bit. He's a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. You know, and if you look at where we are at this point in history, I can prove things to you. We see more hate for Christians and therefore Jesus. People are being arrested in the United States for peaceful protests at abortion clinics, for singing hymns. Some of these people are facing, one guy I saw in particular, 11 years in prison, federal prison. Now, I worked in a federal prison. It's a little bit better than the state prison. I worked in one of those too. But they're all hell holes. They're all full of the, the worst of the worst. 
Now, you know, you could go to a camp, but will they do that with this fella? Because he's a he's one of those Christians. It's troublemaker. January 6th, all that kind of mess. These people are deceived, the ones that are behind the arrests, the ones who swear out the warrants. When this fellow got arrested, the, the local authorities did nothing, but the FBI just swooped in there, you know, hey, we're going to take care of this. It won't, we're we're going to make this guy, uh, we're going we're gonna to show him. They just came in, took him right off the jail, right in front of his kids. Jesus is that offense. He's an offense to the demonic leadership of this world. The devil has his hand on a lot of these people. And they listen because he brings them power. He brings them money. You know, if you look at some of the ministries out there, the ones that are really what we would call uh, up there, most of them are picking your pocket as they go. One thing you'll hear from me, I don't ask for anything. I don't even have a, I could hook you up with a, a, a place to donate to me, but I'd rather you didn't. I'd rather that. If you have money, give it to someone. I've given you names. Or if you have a local church that's good, leave it for them. I don't need it. I don't do this to get rich. I don't do it to make anything. If I got any, I'd turn around and give it to somebody else anyway. Because I've got everything I need. I've said that before. I don't want to say it again. But Jesus is this serious offense to these demonic people. That you know, this these sodomites and these uh, transgenders and there's no such thing. But we as Christians are too exclusive for their club. We're a little bit too much on the outside. We won't we won't let anybody join our club without first you know becoming a Christian, becoming a child of the king isn't that horrible but that's just the way it goes you know it's not that we won't let you in but you know once you're in you got to put that sin behind you that's just the way it works i mean and it's not us that that judges you in the end it's jesus well i don't want to serve a god like that well you won't be able to you won't be able to, and that's the bottom line. Unless you want to set aside the things that are laden with sin, the things that drag you down, and you may not even notice it because you're so caught up in this world and its pleasures. But they're only good for a while. Sin for a season, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, speaking of Moses when he left his uh, home in the, in the palace. Let's go on, which we're getting ready to reinforce that point. But in verse 9, but ye, that's us, chosen ones, those who are saved, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth 
the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, and that would be Jesus. We're going to pick that one apart just a little bit, and I'm not going to get real deep into it. I wouldn't even mind finishing uh, this chapter today, but I'm not sure that'll happen. But we'll take a shot. Chosen generation. That means you're set apart. Sanctified. That's what set. That's what sanctified has a as part of its meaning is you're set apart by our faith in Jesus Christ, appointed as heirs or joint heirs with Him, chosen and then compelled by the Holy Spirit to accept His gift of salvation, and then walk in the light of Christ. See, there's one of the things that will get you in trouble in the nominal church today is when you start to talk about walking with God, walking with Christ, picking up your cross daily. These aren't things that they want to talk about because that that scares people. Like, I got to do too much. No, look, it's not that you have to do it. It's that you want to. If you don't feel compelled to do those things, you check yourself. Paul says, examine yourself. Haggai said, uh, consider yourself. Haggai 2.6. I think it was 2.6. Maybe it's, oh, no, I'm sorry, 1.5. <clears throat> consider yourself. Examine yourself. What does it mean? You know, you can, you know, are you really in line with what God would want you to do? You know, we haven't touched on all the things that it says about the sins that will drag you down. And there are mostly, at the right at the top of the list, will be these sexual sins because those are the ones that are fun. So you're a chosen generation, right? What's a chosen generation? That's, a, a, you know, we're, we're, a, we're like <clears throat> pulled in and given a new genealogy. You have your genealogy now in Christ. A royal priesthood. Given at your rebirth. Given at your rebirth to be purveyors of the gospel. To be carriers of his word. To be discerning. Do you remember the priests? They would look over the sheep that were being sacrificed, brought for sacrifice. And they would check them for the slightest imperfection. The slightest imperfection. They had to be perfect. They, you couldn't bring a diseased sheep and get away with it if you had a true practicing priest or Levite. Let's just use that word so that we don't get confused with Catholics. You know, you're a, you're a chosen generation, a royal. That's a kingly, princely, princessly, whatever you want to call it. But you're in the royal priesthood. You're, you, know, you now have that ability to discern, just like I say the Levites did, determining what is good and what is foul. Think about it. I want, you, I want us to think about that. What's good and what's foul? What's good for you 
as a Christian to follow? Who is good for you to follow? Now, that doesn't mean you go out and you you judge them and you start yelling in the streets, you know, this guy's rotten, he's no good. It doesn't hurt to uh, get involved in what do they call that, the discernment ministries or whatever, but they're overblown. A Christian, true Christian, follower of Christ, knows that when he walks into a place, if it's going to be a place that God inhabits, that the spirit, if your spirit is troubled by what you see, what you hear, I'm talking about when you go into a church, and now sometimes it takes a while. It takes a while because, you know, maybe at first it started out okay and then all of a sudden it started going downhill real fast. Isaiah 61.6 goes right along with this verse when it talks about the priests. But ye shall be named the priests of the Lord, men shall call you the ministers of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles, and in their glory shall ye boast yourselves. I will take them for priests and for Levites, saith the Lord, 66 and 21, Isaiah. Revelation 1.6 is one of the ones that you should just Post it up on your refrigerator or your mirror. He hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father to be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So he's, you know, you're you're not just priests, though. Peter goes a step for forward there and says, You're a royal priesthood. You're you, what's there again, Revelation one six re, reverberates that. You know, when it says kings and priests. So you are already a king and a priest in in the uh, God's kingdom. That's an awesome thing. You know, again, we are to be discerning. We are to keep our eyes open and, again, examine. If you're to examine yourself to see if you're sticking to the faith, then you should be, you know, examining other things. The preaching you hear on a Sunday morning, the preaching you hear when you watch a YouTube video, or if you're wasting your time with people like Alex Jones. Now, you know, if you want to know all that doom, gloom, and death, go for it. Watch a few hours of TV news, and you'll get, Pretty much the same thing. I have my own particular fellow. Like I've said before, I like Tucker Carlson. Seems like he's pretty much on the straight and narrow. We'll see. Again, being a priest, part of the royal priesthood, I am examining these people. You know, I don't know how he lives, but I can tell you what he says. And what he says usually is pretty good. Jones is okay too, but there's a lot of hype that goes in there. There's a lot of almost, you know, you get these guys that bring them, that he brings on. They're very intelligent people. 
that Alex Jones does. And they end up being false prophets. They, they prophesy something that doesn't happen. And we've had that problem in Christendom all along that people say stuff. Now, the ones I, I, I give credit are the ones that come back and say, well, I shouldn't have said it because it didn't happen. I know people that refuse. It's too prideful to you know say that you were wrong. Wrong. <laughs> All right, royal priesthood, a holy nation, and holy nation. We have become a nation unto ourselves, Christian. You are a part of a holy nation. Again, be ye holy as he is holy. Oh, another thing. Oh, that'll get you in trouble. You're preaching sinless perfection or something, and I'm not. I even caveated that in an open sermon one day when I was talking on things just like this. And I think it was actually from 1 John what I was speaking from. And I said, right there, I'm proving. I'm not telling you about sinless perfection. If you say you sin, you lie. Or I'm sorry, if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it right in front of me. But you know what I'm talking about. We make mistakes. We sin. We repent or we ask forgiveness. We confess what we've said, done, seen, whatever, gotten ourselves into again and say, God, just please, you know, now I may have to go to the woodshed for this one, you know, whatever. But you're a holy nation, set aside, you know, something special, a peculiar people, First Peter 2.9 says, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of the darkness, I'm sorry, out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is all about Jesus. When we are lost, when we know not God, and I, when I say no, when you're not in Christ, you're out in the darkness. You, you don't know it. You don't realize it. You, you think, oh, yeah, life's good. Crack another beer. Light up another joint, whatever. You know, but you're in, that's darkness. That's death. That's destruction of your body. But we should sing praises of him, Jesus, who hath called you and I out of that darkness and into his marvelous night light. I'm sorry, marvelous light. Got my tongue tied up there. What a wonderful statement, right? You've been pulled out of death into light or into life and it's marvelous it's awesome it's it's beyond anything we can compare in our feeble minds as humans marvelous light it's worthy of pious admiration i'm looking at the actually what it says here about it passing all human comprehension see like i said just beyond anything that we could literally 
extraordinary, striking, surprising. I mean, it just goes on and on that this is something beyond our comprehension. His light. And he's called you into it. He's pulled you out of the darkness. You know, if you're still mired in the mud and feel like, you know, everything around me is kind of dark, then, again, examine yourself, priest. Check yourself over. Examine what you're getting yourself into on a daily basis. Because the things that you let in will drag you down. Boy, we got through that verse. That's good. Uh, verse 10, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That's a pretty, that's got a lot of, that's got a lot of meat in it, doesn't it? So you peculiar people, you holy nation, you set apart ones. We are now, we are now, we've obtained salvation. We didn't do anything on our own. It was Jesus that did it all. It was the Holy Spirit that you got yourself in a place where the Holy Spirit could work on you. Sometimes he just comes to you. You don't even know it's happening, and it happens. But you know, in times past, there was not a people like us, is what Peter says, but now are the people of God. When you weren't saved, you weren't part of it. When you hadn't come to know Christ intimately as we do, having the Holy Spirit live within us, we were not people of God. You see, all people say, oh, I believe in God. I've made my, I've made my peace with him. Has he made his peace with you? Have you settled the account, or has he settled the account? That's two different things. We're always settling our own accounts. You know, when you balance the checkbook. But, you know, in this case, let him do it. The people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Verse number 11 Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers, pilgrims, pilgrim and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Whoa. Whoa. Abstain from fleshly lust. First of all, dearly beloved. He's talking to the people who believe. Okay? Dearly beloved. It's not the ones that seek your death. He's writing his letter to people who know Christ. I beseech you. I want your attention. I want you to understand this is important. Don't let this slide by. Listen to what I'm going to say to you is what he said when that says beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. People have been scattered now. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. When we get ourselves caught up, again, it, it's, you know, it's not me that has to keep repeating this thing. It is the Bible itself 
It is the word of God. It is the, the literal mouth of God who tells us, and we all, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, you have to push yourself away from the things that you know you cannot handle. Now, it says fleshly lust, and everybody thinks, oh, sex, and he's always talking about it. I'm not. Fleshly lust can be anything. Oh, maybe you've got a proclivity to cars, and you have to have another car, or, you know, you eat too much. The things that feed your flesh, that push you away from God, that keep you from having a good relationship with Jesus. Now, if you got a good, nice hot rod car and you love that car, uh, that's not necessarily fleshly lust. But if it takes more of your time than the time you spend in prayer, Bible study, or whatever, you have a problem. And typically it will. Hey, you can work on your car and listen to my podcast or David Langford or David Wilkerson, there's a whole host of folks out there that will make your ears burn while you're turning the wrench on that spark plug or eating when you don't need to. These things war against the soul. Verse 11 tells us, war against the soul. There's a fight going on for your soul. Dearly beloved, you know, yeah, I, you hear these old preachers. They, they beloved, listen, beloved, beloved, listen. To, and they picked it up from reading the Bible. They picked it up for being told how to speak in public and, and in church, and it catches people's ears. And the old people, oh, he loves us. He doesn't care. Having your conversation, verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may be that may they that they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation so you know watch what you're doing when it says having your conversation we've talked about that's your manner and way of life and how you talk how you act how you how you present yourself don't be a jerk at the store or uh, in all the dealings you have with your neighbors and everything else. Don't fight with them. You know, if they're doing something that's against good measure or law, they'll get caught. If it does not put you in danger, am I, I, I'm honestly, I tell people stay out of it. Just stay out of it. Now, as we roll down into... 1 Peter 2 and verse number 13. Things are going to get a little bit more stickier because there's a lot of times we uh, teacher preachers like to uh, not get things just quite right. 1 Peter 2.13, submit yourselves therefore I'm sorry, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be the king as supreme, comma there, or 
verse 14, or unto governors, as a, unto them that are sent by him, the king, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. That refers you back to uh, Romans 13, 1 through 5, which you know gives us a pretty good uh, admonition to, let's, let's go ahead and look at that and see how closely it, it mirrors it. Let every soul be subject unto higher powers. For there is no power, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Remember, God sets up rulers, God takes them down. Wheresoever, therefore, resisteth the power, or I'm sorry, whosoever, therefore, resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to but to the evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise at the same of the same. See, now a lot of people put you know, well, it's Romans thirteen. I gotta submit to the governor. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This thing where they shut the churches down, left the pot shops and everything else open, and the porn shops and the, you know, the Home Depots and everything else, they closed the churches. They say, oh, you can't gather your COVID, you know, all that stuff. But all these other things stayed open. And then when they let us trickle back in, it was like, don't sing. Because singing is praiseworthy to God. So it's a, it's a quandary that I run into, and my, my thinking has always been, you know, if the law that they come up with stays within God's boundaries, that law is something we should follow. The speed limit is 55 on a road. Don't do 80. Stay at 55. That's the law, and it's a law for a reason. We don't want people scattered all over our highways and our byways, especially the byways. You know, that's just a a light little bit there. You know, and we I've griped in the past about our government and what they're up to. But here's the thing. God says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Now, that doesn't mean, shut up, computer. That doesn't mean that we have to, uh, oh, just because the law says abortion's okay, you can have one, or uh, whatever. You know, that's that's the, that's the one I always, that's my go-to one. Or even that, you know, it's okay to smoke pot because it's all right to drink beer. It's, a, it's legal as long as you're old enough, but, it, you know, I would say you don't have to do it, and you shouldn't do it. I'd rather see them go out of business, turn the alcohol refineries or whatever they call them, uh, distilleries, into something that makes a food that we all can handle, and all that corn and everything else wouldn't go into bourbon. But it's legal. So, you know, you have the choice of doing some laws, like I say, the speed limit and other things, 
are not or that are they're you know up to a certain point are legal once you go over they are illegal and you should stick to the law now this like i say this thing that they did a couple of years ago i know a lot of churches that stayed open here in ohio the governor did not shut them down he just said it'd probably be a good idea and i know a lot of them did I now look at it and say, I wish they wouldn't have. Then the schools and everything else. But it was a mandated law came down and we had to follow certain things in certain places. But laws that are good, the good laws are put out there. The ones that say you can't murder, you can't steal and all those kinds of things. They are there for the punishment of those who do them. Evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. So when you don't get in trouble, people can say, look at him. What's different about this guy that he's, he's not caught up in tax evasion. You know, when you, uh, had a fella tell me the other day, he walked out of a store and they didn't charge him for a couple of things. And his salvation is a little questionable to me, but that's between him and God. But he, he, he noticed it and he went back in and paid for it. That's a good report. Verse number 15. Praise of the, actually 14, I would say that you get praise for them that do well. You know, and we're not looking for praise, but it, you know, it comes because, hey, you did the right thing. All right, 15. So, for so, is the will of God that with well-doing ye may be put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Those are three verses with a lot of meat. Again, this, this, the first Peter is meat. This is not milk. This is stuff that when you start to read it, and you should, these are the things that we need to look into so that we know when some guy pops up in a pulpit and starts telling you, it's all right, you said a prayer, you can do it all. No, you can't. For so is the will of God. Now, people say, what is the will of God? I don't understand the will of God. He's telling supposed to be in the will of God. Here's one of the things that said, well, first of all, the will of God is that you're saved. The will of God, once you're saved, is to do good not to keep your salvation, not to gain your salvation, but just because you have salvation, that we do well. That with well-doing, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. When you do well, people, there's, what can they say against you? When you're, when you're out there, even if you're doing what they don't like, which is, you know, sacrificing your time to preach on the street. But we will, if you're told, hey, you can't do that, it's against the law in this town, I guess you have to stop. 
Jesus said, if you go into a town and they don't accept you, shake the dust off your feet and walk away. That's what he told him when he sent the guys out two by two, 70 of them. So if you do well, following the ordinance of government, we can stop people from saying, hey, you, you did this, you did that, you did the other, prove it, what I do. You know, you're free. But don't use your stand for Jesus as a covering or a place to hide to do that which is not good or evil. Retain our dignity in Christ. That's what we need to do is retain our dignity in Christ. You know, because he looks at the church as his body. He told Paul, why are you persecuting me? Or is that, actually his name was Saul at the time. And I guess the eighth chapter of Acts. Why do you persecute me? Why are you killing me, Paul? Why are you beating me? And it was the people in the church that he was after, but he, God, Jesus, looks at us as him. We, he lives within us, right? So we need, to, we need to keep our dignity about us. You know, Don't be like these people that used to show up, the Westboro Baptists, that uh, you know, they, they did some of the most horrific things out there. And, and just made a bad name for both Baptists and Christians, which I think they were neither. It's easy to throw Baptist in front of you, and it's easy to throw Christian in front of your name and then not really be one. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Whoa. All men. All men, believe it or not, are still imagers of Christ, of God. Even if they're not living right, even if they're not in church every Sunday morning or ever, they're created in God's image. They may not be reflecting the light of Christ as they should, but it was in the beginning God created man in his own image. At redemption, at salvation, then it is it comes full. Does full circle if you're truly saved. Love the brotherhood. This is verse 17 of Second Peter or First Peter. If you're first Peter 217. Love the brotherhood. John reflects that and says, this is how you know you're saved if you love the brethren. Sometimes the brethren don't make it easy. Then, you know, as a priest, do a little bit of self-examination and some examination of those other sheep. Perhaps you need to find another pasture, pasture, a place to eat. Fear God, honor the king. Fear God. There, in, the, in my opening, I have that whole thing about the old one there. I use it most of the time. There is no fear of God in the church. There's not. We should walk into these buildings that we go to on Sunday, Wednesday, and whatever with a little bit of trepidation, a, you know, a little bit of what are we going to do today? I don't see it very often. Well, maybe it's where I'm at. There's no real fear 
There's no reverence. I mean, I'll say it is, but, you know, does it show? And I sometimes think fear and shaking, scary type fear isn't such a bad thing. We should have a certain fear of God. You, you feared your pops, didn't you, that he whooped that belt off or grabbed the razor strap and went to you. You knew what was coming. Honor the king. Honor the king. Sometimes that's not easy when you think of who's a king. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. You look through look through the Old Testament and see out of all the kings they had, they only had a, a handful that were easy to deal with. First Peter two and verse eighteen: Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Those that, you know, when you look at servant, you know, we can, we can, you know, throw that into, uh, not so much as being a slave or whatever, but you know, you, you put yourself in a place where you are subject to people that are over you, whether it be your boss at work, the people who are in charge of us as far as our government or the pastor of your church, or the deacons and elders. These are hard things for us as humans. We look at this and we say we have to be subject to these people that are over with all fear, even with, with that reverence that you have. If they've been placed there by God, which we have to believe to a certain degree, but even the bad ones, have some, it's hard for me, I'll tell you right now. Because there's good ones and there's bad ones. There's there's something that you can learn from both the good and the bad. How to act and how not to act. Scripture is very plain and sometimes painful. For this is thankworthy, verse 19, if a man for conscience, if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if if ye be buffeted for your faults, ye take it patiently, If, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable to God. So what's he saying? That's rough stuff, right? If a man has a God conscience, if you're actually truthfully indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you endure grief, you endure pain, you put up with suffering, even when it's done to you with no reason behind it. You know, the, the new the new deal today is being being ripped to shreds on Facebook. Where I'm sorry, people get on there and they just tear you apart. And what's God say? Am I supposed to get back and rip them back? Which is what happens many times. No, it says just put up with it. You're suffering wrongfully, for there's glory 
There's glory in it when you're buffeted for your faults. For what glory is it if when you're buffeted for your faults, you take it patiently? So, you know, you do something wrong, you take your licks. You take it patiently. You take it like a man, as they say, or a woman. But if you do well and still suffer for it, you need to take it patiently. You need to take it patiently. You need to take it with a grain of salt because it's acceptable to God that you do it that way, that you put up with that, that what seems wrong, what's been done to you is, you see, I've learned this lesson and this, this studying this out has again, done some changes in my life that people don't understand completely, but that's just the way it has to be. Verse 20, we are, we are going to finish the second chapter today, believe it or not. For even unto them, even unto, for, goodness gracious, maybe, if I can start talking right. Verse 21, for even here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, having or leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Again, his steps, where he walks, what he did, how did he handle it? You get castigated online. You get castigated from a pulpit. You get ripped to shreds by somebody for no apparent reason. And what do you do? Do you turn on them? You say, come on, outside. We'll settle this like men with your dukes up. Did Jesus do that? They say it says in Isaiah 53 that he took what he took as a sheep before her shearers or his shearers. He didn't say anything. When they beat him, spit on him, and whipped him, he said nothing. He was silent in, the, in all of that. And he did it for you, and he did it for me. This is what you've been called to, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we, it says ye, I'm going to say we, should follow his steps. What are his steps Verse 22, who, Jesus, it's talking about, did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Because he didn't say anything. He took what he had. What he, well, he did say some things, didn't he? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They knew what they were doing, but they didn't know who they were really doing it to. They didn't realize they killed the king of glory. They didn't realize it. But he's, that's Jesus' words. They know not what they do. Forgive them. Verse 23, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. So when he was spit on, kicked, smacked, whipped, and crucified, yelled at, called names, called blasphemer, called liar, called this, called that. Imagine the things that they called him and said to him. He said nothing. He did nothing. He could call 10,000 angels, and he did not. He hung there on the cross until he died. He gave up the ghost. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him 
that judgeth righteously. Now, that's, uh, that's God himself. He was being tormented. He was being tortured for nothing that he did. He did nothing wrong. And, you know, people say, yeah, but he's Jesus. He's God. I'm not him. I can't do it. You can. I can. It takes a lot of Holy Ghost obedience to God to be able to stand in the fire and know that he is there, to stand in the middle of the battle and know that you don't even have to raise a hand. When I did, I spoke earlier about Joshua 24. It speaks all the way through. Joshua uses the pronoun I, and he says, I split the Red Sea. I, now Joshua didn't do that. God did it. He was doing what we call uh, prophesying, but not as a prophet. He was speaking of things that had already happened, and he showed the power of God how God took and pushed their enemies away because they were obedient. Are your leaders being obedient to God? Do they have the ability to call the hornets and push the people away that that do us harm? Jesus had that ability, but what did he do? He committed himself to God that whom him, capital, big capital H, that judges rightly because God judges righteously. He can't do anything but that which is right. Verse 24, who, Jesus, his own self, bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye are healed. That's the name of Isaiah 53. Once again, for ye, verse 25, uh, one of my favorites, for ye were as sheep going astray, but now returned unto the capital S shepherd and bishop of your souls. We stray a lot. We'll just hang here for the next minute or two, and we're going to call it for today. We finished a chapter. Whoa. And I didn't want to rush through anything because there's so much that's important to understand. You know, verse 21 through 24, Jesus did no sin. He had no guile in his mouth. Just just to repeat these things, he reviled when he. He didn't revile. He didn't go back on them when they when they tortured him. He suffered and threatened no one. Com- committed himself to the righteous judge, which is God, the Father. We, sheep, are always going somewhere where we shouldn't or going straying when we shouldn't, and he always, as a good shepherd, finds us and pulls us back. When when Christ went to the cross, everybody was pretty much doing her own thing. 
except for maybe his, well, his, his disciples. There was none of them except John at the cross. Peter did the denying. Judas did the betraying. Peter was converted and restored. Judas was dead, and his guts fell out in a, in a field. Now, I'm not trying to be dramatic. That's what it says in the Bible. But Jesus did nothing. He didn't fight back. He didn't kick and scream and squabble. At one point, he he prayed in the garden, and he said to his father, if this cup can pass from me, but nevertheless your will be done. What does that really mean? It means, you know, this this is a strong cup that I must drink. Jesus had to drink. This is a... This is a cup full of the dregs of everything. I have to take on the sins of my brethren. I have to take on the sins of those that I created that have nothing to do with me. And he could probably see into the future enough to know who and what and where, and I know he can now, that will accept him. When the call comes, do you take it? Or do you sit back idly by and not do anything? I don't need that Jesus stuff. A lot of people will say, but you do. You need it pretty badly. There's a lot of people that don't want you to be a child of the king. In the rags of my sin. Yeah, there you go. We've covered a chapter, half a chapter today. So, quicker than I thought, but there's a lot of stuff. Go back and listen if you want to. Make sure I didn't make any mistakes, and if you think I did, let me know. We're trying to be as careful as we can not to confuse anybody because right now we're going to do the Bible and we're going to stick to it. Might not get a lot of following with that, but that's okay. I'm doing what God called me to do. What did he call you to do? If you're one of those sheep that have gone astray, get back with the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. Till next time, Tom Richardson, Removing Confusion. Have a great day, great week. We'll be in chapter three of first peter next time we come together well he's made me his own and i'm washed by his blood